Welcome back, everyone, to the Reset Salon podcast. This is Ed McGuire here again with Julie Albright and Brian Hayashi. This week's topic is moving beyond the challenges. Uh, we're going to explore some forward-looking thought this this time, this week, uh, following up a, uh, a wonderful conversation we had uh, recently. Um, discussing uh, a, whole, a whole range of topics of, of uh, positive outcomes and, and what people are looking forward to. Um, and this week we have a special guest, uh, Matthew James Bailey, uh, who is, uh, he's an inter internationally recognized pioneer in authority in the fields of innovation, artificial intelligence, smart city, cities, and the internet of things. And he's, uh, he's an extraordinary leader. Uh, he's widely acknowledged uh, throughout governments and the private sectors. Um, we'll be talking about uh, his book on AI, Inventing World 3.0, and he's the founder of uh, AI Ethics World. So we'll, we're lo really looking forward to our conversation with him. We've uh, heard some of his thoughts and I think uh, everybody's, you all are gonna dig it. So, uh, but first uh, we will turn it over to Julie for some opening thoughts to uh, set, the, set the stage for our conversation. Hey, thanks, Ed. From Tony Robbins to Reverend Robert Schuler's tough times never last, but tough people do, all the way to Gary V, tarot card readers, and your best friend. It seems like we're surrounded by people trying to help us find our way through challenging times. And no doubt a global pandemic is one of the biggest challenges of our lifetimes, perhaps of many lifetimes. I stopped the other day on a live TikTok of a tarot card reader. He was talking about the challenges we're all facing now during these difficult times. He had a soothing voice and a calming manner, a little oasis of calm in our digital world. So I let his voice sort of lull me for a few moments into tranquility. He was shuffling, shuffling, shuffling the cards as he spoke itself kind of mesmerizing. And then he suddenly stopped, pulled a card, looked at it, then showed it to the screen. I actually gasped, the cicada. The cicada who lives in solitude in a kind of lockdown, as it were, underground, sometimes as long as 17 years before emerging in song, living above ground, trying to find a mate a very apt card for our times. We're in cicada underground mode right now. We'll sing again. We will. But how do we get there? And where are we headed? Those are some of the questions on our minds today as we explore our theme of moving beyond the challenges. And as we begin to explore this theme, I've been focusing on the challenges aspect of it. I heard an NPR interview earlier today that said people are afraid to come out from their underground cocoons, their shelter in place safety, that the social world itself seems threatening, scary to them. So when we think about moving beyond the challenges, we first, I think, need to think about what scale are we talking about? Are we talking about individuals? or families? Are we talking about neighborhoods or cities? Are we talking about our country or others or the world? 
or are we talking about the ecosystem, the environment? There are different answers depending upon what scale you are targeting. So to start, I'm going to target you, the individual. And I'm sure our group today will enlarge that circle as we go. I got curious next about the word beyond, moving beyond. Sometimes getting a deeper understanding of the, a word, its etymology can give us clues as to the way out. Beyond, it turns out, has its roots in a very old word. It dates back to Old English, a word called Bhutan from between 450 and 1100. Bhutan meant except for, but unless without. So think about moving except for challenges or moving unless without challenges. We'd be moving except for the challenges we're facing now. Later, the word began to change and enlarge. Beyond can be traced to another old English word, begyondan, which meant further away than, greater than, so as to exceed or surpass, later than, after, on the far side of, something that is far beyond, the hereafter, the unknown. So now we're moving further away from the challenges. We're moving after or on the far side of the challenges. We're moving on into the unknown. So moving beyond challenges, leaving one set of challenges behind can mean that we're moving into unknown territory, the territory of fear and uncertainty which they were talking about in that NPR radio interview earlier today. So at this point, I might put my counseling hat on a bit here. I was trained in what's called brief therapy coming out of the Mental Research Institute of Palo Alto or MRI for short. Jay Haley, one of the founders said that MRI became the go-to place for any therapist who wanted to be on the cutting edge of psychotherapy research and practice. And so I learned to do brief therapy, brief, 10 sessions, targeted change. One of the techniques often used is called reframing. So when I think again about moving beyond the challenges, I think about reframing. Challenges can also be seen, reframed, that is, as opportunities. So we might ask ourselves here, rather than see the roadblocks to where we thought we were going in life, what are the opportunities? The opportunities we have now to slow down, to really take stock of our lives, about how we spend our precious time. Are we allotting that time to the things that really matter in life? How can we use this opportunity, which has deliberately slowed down all of our lives, to take a page from the slow movement, to eat better food, to go outdoors, to spend time in nature, in conversation and fellowship with friends and family, doing the kinds of things that truly bring happiness to us rather than being in motion almost on autopilot. How can we lead slower, more intentional lives? 
part of the frustration now, perhaps, is that we don't seem to be moving anywhere at all, the moving part of the moving beyond. But I'd suggest we can move in quieter ways, subtle ways, perhaps. And I'll leave you with just a couple of ways that we can do so. Number one, cultivate grit. Grit is passion plus perseverance, passion for a goal ahead. Grit means you hang on through the tough times, knowing there's a brighter future ahead. What goalposts can you set for yourself that will be on the horizon that you can save for, work for, plan for? It could be writing that book you always wanted to write. It could be you want to see India or Sweden or other parts unknown. It could be that education or that new career or job you've dreamed of. Put that out there on the horizon and make your plans for how to get there. Number two, cultivate daily rituals you enjoy. This could be taking time from your 3 million emails and 40 texts and social media to savor that great cup of coffee in the morning. I made myself a delightful coffee bar so I could wake up to a cheerful robin's egg blue table with textures and a collection of delightful things from a stock of cotton to an antique cut glass bowl to a pine cone. It makes me smile and it's wonderful. Uh, this could be for you, uh, that great cup of coffee. It could be a bath with Epsom salt and a little dash of lavender oil or even a warm shower. Find ways, simple things to do something nice for yourself each day. We can't give our all if we're not coming from a healthy place. Lastly, number three, set your goals. Communicate them to others who will support you and off you go. If you fall off the path or get knocked down, just get back up. Brush yourself off and keep on going. And just last but not least, I'll leave you with a few principles that John Perry Barlow wrote, which he called the principles of adult behavior as his standard code of conduct uh, that I think can also help us to move forward during these challenging times. Here's a couple of them. Number one, be patient no matter what. Number four, expand your sense of the possible. Number five, don't trouble yourself with matters you truly cannot change. Number seven, tolerate ambiguity. Number 15, avoid the pursuit of happiness. Seek to define your mission and pursue that. Number 19, become less suspicious of joy. 22, foster dignity. 23, live memorably. 24, love yourself. 25, endure. So endure, my friends. Whether or not you know it, we are all, all of us, moving beyond the challenges. And with that, I'm tossing it over to Brian. Thanks, Julie. Man, I miss John Perry Barlow. I, I, I sometimes forget it. And then you said, said some of the things that he's, he shared, and, and, and wow. But, uh, you know, as one human cicada to a bunch of other cicadas, wherever you are tonight, wow. What, what a strange uh, uh, trip this has been, and I can hardly wait to uh, get back out in the sunlight. I think one of the challenges that, that we, we, we have here is that we're in a culture that has been used to acting with impunity. 
all the rules were out there. And, and so basically we could go out into the world and do whatever we could try We could drop everything that we're doing and, and go to Europe or go to Asia or, or eat at restaurants. And, and what's frustrating to so many people is that unless you've been directly touched by the virus, unless you've had that painful brutality of firsthand experience with COVID and more specifically the, the havoc that it does on our immune systems, it makes it really hard to contextualize why is it that the world has been so unfair to me and what I've been able to do? Because we've never been in a situation where we've had to face such ambiguity in what we can do, being told one day that this is what needs to happen and being told the next day that we've got to follow a completely separate set of rules. And this is the paradox of our time where we as humans have gotten so used to having Google or its equivalent around that it's been so easy for us to be able to search for something and to know very quickly, what did that actor really appear in that movie or did they not? Am I supposed to follow this rule when I'm crossing the street or am I not? And now we're in this gray area where all of a sudden the sheet's been torn off this veneer of our life and we don't know what is right and what's wrong. And we, and we are voicing great frustration at this ambiguity. And the challenge is, is this, is that for all the good that's coming from our collective efforts to, to find a vaccine for this virus, we are, for example, we are discovering that, that not only can this mRNA take care of the virus, but it can also help address the issues of cancer. And in fact, we are on the verge of a golden age where no one will ever have to not know why it is that they're sick right now. And then more importantly, be able to access some sort of a cure, some sort of, 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 of a way to get better. And this, and this may seem magical right now, but this is something that we're on the cusp of. The, the, the flip side of this is that in order to make these miracles happen, we need to subject ourselves to routine testing. So I just got tested by a urologist for, 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 for uh, uh, certain uh, chemicals in my, in my uh, body to detect whether I've got prostate cancer or not. The good news is I'm way under, so I'm, I'm very happy about that. But I'm reminded that that test is only as good as being examined on a frequent basis. And this is something that, that is, is going to happen more and more as after COVID, where people are going to be asked to reveal things about themselves on a periodic basis in order to, to measure the delta between what your levels were at, a, at last month and what they are this month. And the problem that we are going to have moving forward is one presaged by a, a gentleman named Cardinal Richelieu. He once said that, give me six lines written by the most honest of men, and I will find something within those words with which to hang him. And this is a danger that we have because as we entrust more of our data to other people, to other parties, unless we have our own source of truth, there is something in there somewhere that, is, that someone that has a grudge against us that doesn't like us, or maybe they're just having a bad day, they're going to use that data against us. Terrible, terrible thoughts I have, but you know, I like to be a happy guy, so I'm going to stop right there. And I'm going to hand it right off to Ed McGuire. <laughs> Brian, you know, you actually made me think of, uh, you know, my my uh, my experience as a Wall Street analyst. You uh, when you talk to, you know, companies uh, that 
disclose data about their operations. It's funny, the more people always want more transparency, but the more data you provide, people will find ways to, uh, to use it against you. And I guess that, you know, that does sort of tie into the old maxim that no good deed goes unpunished. But, um, uh, you know, I, you know as, as, as we are thinking about, um, you know, being cicadas, it, it did make me think that 2021 is the year that brood X comes back. So for folks here on the East Coast, every 17 years, we get the, they used to call them the 17 year locusts. They're not really locusts. They're, um, they're actually quite benign, friendly look, you know, red bug eyed characters that uh, leave their shells uh, strewn all over the street. And I remember as a kid, kind of crunching around in these things, but, uh, but we are uh, chrysalises of sorts. Uh, yes, they are. They're also protein sources as well. But we, you know, I think many of us are, are ready to emerge from our uh, our co cocoons to um, uh, to blossom with ideas and positivity. And how do we move past these challenges uh, that have been in front of us? So we're gonna we're gonna ask Matthew James Bailey. Um, who's been thinking about these things a lot more deeply than we have uh, for a long time um, to share his thoughts. And, and, and Matthew, thanks for joining us. And, and actually, we'd just like to turn the, uh, uh, turn, you know, turn, turn the uh, podium over to you, uh, virtual podium, as it were. And uh, you know, when you think of you know, moving beyond challenges, you know, what, what do you think of? Yes. Yeah, so, uh, well, first of all, it's great to be here. And I really enjoyed Julie's eloquent um, co uh, conversation and eloquent um, lesson, should we say, to remind us that it's all about wholeness, isn't it, in the human experience. And uh, Brian, I very much enjoyed your playful, but yes, profound and gentle conversation around really how do we move forward ethically? And how do we move forward where <clears throat> our digital world in which we are encapsulated at the moment, and we are, basically starts to honor our humanity. So, um, so what are the challenges we have at the moment, Ed? Um, we can look at this in many different ways. Uh, we can look at this globally, right? The world's out of balance in terms of its relationship with the environment. Sir David Attenborough, famous BBC guy, who's been talking to us for 50 years, has been sharing the environment for many, many years and the beauties of nature and also his profound worries around the fact is our environment really is out of balance. And so when our environment is brought back into balance and flourishes, then we as a human society flourish. And it's by no coincidence that the sun helps to keep this COVID away. Um, the other thing is that we're out of balance across the world. We know we have these United Nations Sustainability Development Goals, Ed and Julie. And so we have some real issues as a global society, but we also have issues as a national society in the United States of America and have issues both regionally and also locally where there's inequity and all sorts of different issues around data privacy, and one of the biggest issues we face at the moment, Ed, is that we have to examine, is big tech and social media helping the human experience or is it creating a dopamine type of society where we are hooked into the kind of pleasures of being liked 
and also people engaging with us. And our narrative is being controlled. So the US itself has some big challenges to face. The first thing really is about what's its purpose and what's its destiny? What's its vision for the world? Is it to carry on in a society that is about the haves and have-nots? Or is it about equilibrium and balance within society where everybody thrives and all cultures are honored and our diversity is respected and also enhanced? There's some big challenges the US has. Now, one of the big challenges that Washington has is that big tech is out of control. There is no user agency of control of their data. The fundamental human right is that our data is an extension of the sovereign experience, i.e. our digital self is being taken and controlled and manipulated behind walls that we have no visibility in. So Tim Berners-Lee, who invented the World Wide Web, has launched a company where people get their new user data agency in the next version of the internet. And this is important, and let me explain why. Let's make some assumptions. First of all, is that your data is an extension of your human sovereignty. In a, a democracy, you should own that data. It is a reflection of your digital self. So we need to look at new policies and new uh, um, 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 uh, governance models to give people back agency of their data. Pew Research published a report late 2019 that indicated that 60% plus of American people do not trust business or government with the agency of their data. We have a trust paradigm. And let me explain why this needs to be resolved if America is not gonna hit a modern fall of Rome scenario. China is able to access all its citizens' data without their permission or knowledge. The America is a democracy, and so it cannot do the same principles if it is to honor the principles of the founding fathers and the democracy itself, i.e. we the people. So America itself has to bring agency back to people, which bridges the trust paradigm, Ed. The people start to trust the internet and digital services because they have agency over their data, at which point then the people come together and say, let's participate in developing the digital future of America, not only to benefit its domestic societies, but also for it to be leap beyond the challenge of China. And this is a fundamental decision in which democracies have to visit. Do they give people the sovereignty of their data or do they carry on in a fractured trust paradigm? And my view is this, if democracies carry on in a fractured democracy paradigm where people don't have agency of their data, then we're heading for civic unrest because people are starting to get very frustrated with the way that big tech is controlling their narrative and lack of transparency of their data. So in the book, how do we move forward? And this is why I, I invented new eight Alan Turing-like tests. Why did I use Alan Turing? Because he's one of the forefathers of artificial intelligence. And it's my view that America can do well in the future of artificial intelligence. So these Alan Turing-like tests test and rank the ethical quality of data that's used to train AI. If there's no data, there's no AI.
This is why the public needs a coming to the future of AI and the trust paradigm bridged because they're participating in a trust experience with the government to give their data for innovation of artificial intelligence. And this will release huge data sets. But we need to understand how the, uh, the quality of the AI today in terms of the data that's being used to train it and how it needs to improve or enter a maturity model where as we enter user agency of their data, the ethical quality of AI improves because the data ethics itself is improving, okay? This is the first thing that a, democracy, a democratic nation has to do, is to examine not only the quality of the AI in terms of its ethics today, measure it, and then basically guide it into an ethical future. Now, this is what's gonna to have to happen, I believe is the US is gonna to have to invent digital citizen tests for artificial intelligence. And the reason for that is that they need to ensure that any artificial intelligence deployed within the borders of the United States of America complies with the constitution, complies with the values of society and honors diversity and has no bias. We want diversity to thrive and we want cultures to thrive. At the moment, there is no measurement of the quality of AI within society, particular with big tech. Now, the other issue that the US face is who are they going to get the future of AI from that's ethical and aligned with the constitution and the democratic values of this nation? They can't go to big tech because no one trusts them. And no one can, and, and people don't trust the government at the moment. So what we're going to see is a brand new, um, in order to, to move beyond the challenge, a brand new trust uh, kind of service that is independent of government, independent of big tech, and independent of agenda, that basically is a clearinghouse for all artificial intelligence to be deployed within the national borders of the US to comply with the constitution and the values that the citizens want within society. So these are big questions and big decisions. And that's why I wrote the book to guide nations forward. And that's why AI data ethics is number one. The second thing is, is that we are seeing tremendous issues with bias within the algorithms of artificial intelligence. And also we're seeing all sorts of terrible experience with artificial intelligence. For example, at Amazon, where it's only recruiting white males where we're seeing it in London in projects where it's, it's, it's having a bias towards people of particular colour and, and particular gender. AI has a real problem with bias. So we have to examine that because if AI is to do well in society, it must have no bias. It must understand cultural diversity it must understand the vision of the United States of America. And that's why in the book, I release a new model and explain a new model that can be used by citizens, Ed, Julie, that can be used by government businesses to start to put cultural principles or ethical principles within artificial intelligence. This ensures that the genetics of artificial intelligence and its progeny are the deployed within the United States of America will comply with the constitution and the values of we the people. This is important. So within there, we can look at things like what's the US's relationship with the environment and what's its purpose and what's its, its outcome, what are the outcomes it's trying to achieve? What are the different cultures in the United States of America and how can AI understand its, um, uh, the cultural diversity and honor that? 
How can it understand the personal sovereignty of an individual? How can it ensure that it brings out the best in our humanity, like courage, ambition, greatness of soul, wittiness, friendliness? How can AI work at a personal level within our lives? And this is important. Now, the reason why America and its future will be determined by its approach to artificial intelligence is this. AI is a busy child. While you're sleeping, AI is learning. While you're drinking your coffee, AI is learning. Its ability to logically reason at a speed that is at quantum level, really, is beyond the human. So AI will become part of our, will replace human, uh, sorry, uh, human-centric systems with machine-centric systems to guard our grids, to ensure our energy is up and running, to ensure our transportation is running correctly. Our hospitals are delivering, for once, decent healthcare. That actually the, the different federal agencies are operating properly and effectively for we the people. So these are very, very, very important conversations because if America does not get its relationship with artificial intelligence right and start to invent American Dream 3.0, i.e. inventing World 3.0, decides that actually democracy might have to be reinvented to include this digital citizen, America has a real problem with China overtaking it and also Russia. So that's quite a big speech. And what the book does is this. Really what it does, Ed and Julie, is in a simple narrative, we've tested it with single moms, everyday people, billionaires. We've tested it with leaders in the field of life sciences, innovation technology. We've tested it with all sorts of different genders and cultures around the world. This is to bring everybody into the conversation and to show them how we can invent a flourishing world that has balance and harmony within our democracies, balance and harmony within society, and restore a flourishing relationship with our environment. And it's a platform, Ed, not utopia. It's a platform for future generations to not be beholden to the challenges of today and the inequities of today, but to be liberated to innovate human and humanity into a flourishing future beyond inventing World 3.0. I'll stop there, quite a lot in there. Thanks, no, that was, that's wonderful, Matthew. I have, uh, I have a few questions. I think, you know, what you described is, uh, is the environment where, you know, transparency is, is paramount. And uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of the, there, there are a couple of challenges there and would love to get your take on, um, one is, uh, you know, how do you simplify um, the understanding of, you know, being able to evaluate lots of inputs, um, you know, that go into these, you know, these syst AI systems, you know, if we can equate that to, <clears throat> you know, autom automation that comes out, right, data comes in, something comes out, how do we, how do we simplify that so people who are maybe not technical, but, but who may be, you know, ethically grounded are, are able to make, uh, you know, informed inputs. And the second is that, uh, you know, in such a heterodox society, you know, like America, which is, is founded on a, you know, a, um, a framework, you, you, you may call it a, you know, a kernel of an operating system that you alluded to, which is a constitution, um, which, you know, which we use, um, you know, how do we extend that to, you know, to provide a, 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 a means to resolve, you know, the, just the natural differences of opinion and, and of course, many competing uh, 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 interests that you know that you have you know in a in a broad diverse polyglot society such as we have 
Yeah, those are great questions. And this is why I wrote the book, because the frameworks inside will work for nations because it's, it's solutions and frameworks and profound guidelines. So the book will work with nations, but it will also work with the Navajo Nation. It will also work with uh, the folks in the Bronx. It doesn't, it's been written deliberately to bring everybody into a common narrative through common frameworks. And this is important because one of the challenges that um, I think any democracy is gonna face is because they've just chosen democracy, they have to engage the public in the future of artificial intelligence. That is a no-brainer, and is a, it's not a choice. It's a democratic path. Now, um, so, so the book reveals the easy, uh, really easy frameworks, and that's why we tested it with all sorts of different people at different ages and different cultures. It's really easy to understand. And people are even using it in government bids now. They're even using it to solve peace and justice within society the United Nations, and there's a lot more coming. Um, so how do we deal with diversity of opinions, which is important because everybody's sovereign in America and in a democracy, right? At least I hope so. And so therefore, how do we honor the human society, uh, the human sovereignty and difference of opinion? Well, there's two things. First of all, is that once people get user agency of their data, they'll have a personalized AI or a digital body or a digital angel that I wrote recently in an article. And this Digital angel is there to be a well-being guardian, so you thrive as an individual. Now, the reason why I talk about DNA, the digital genetics within artificial intelligence, which is a brand new approach to artificial intelligence, it's Dharmic-centric actually, um, is that base pairs will have common foundations, such as the constitution, right? So trust is a common foundation, right? But there are subtle nuances that need to be in the digital genetics that it will cater for based on your cultural lineage, based on your gender, based on your mood in any moment in day. So my point is this, is that AI absolutely needs diversity within its digital genetics in order to honor every single person and their individual views at any moment in time. So that's why artificial intelligence needs a new form of DNA what I call evolutionary AI or ethical AI within it, so that we have base pairs just like the three billion within the human genome, but each one can have a foundation of maybe the constitution, but in region one or state one, there may be a variation because the cultures are different of things like trust, things like uh, uh, community, things like uh, other, other aspects are in the justice that are in the constitution. And other regions might have different flavors of those foundational principles. So AI itself needs diversity. And the only way of doing this is through digital genetics that I talk about in the book. And so what it means is this, uh, if business one, say for example, big tech one, basically has a set of base pairs, right? For trust and but based on their culture, right? And their mission statement and their values. And they wanna deliver uh, to uh, another company or a government, a solution for ethical AI, maybe for uh, cyber security, for example, right? Then what we'll see is a comparison of these base pairs to ensure there's a match. And if there's not a match, then effectively, big tech will not be, be able to supply those digital genetics or the ethical AI because it doesn't comply. So my point is this, is that, AI itself needs to be diverse in its digital genetics in order to one, honor the individuality, but also as we converse 
in the digital world and operate in the digital world, it caters for those different diversities within the digital world. Does that make sense? Have I gone down the rabbit hole too no, far? No, it, it, it does. And, and I, uh, I, I wanted to ask just a couple more questions, uh, you know, before we, um, before we wrap it up. But one, or actually just, uh, you know, observations. One is that um, these concepts of trust and community uh, and consensus that reflect, uh, you know, that reflect, you know, kind of the, the mores of, of difference, you know, different societies um, uh, reminds me of a lot of the principles of decentralization that people have mm. been talking about. Um, and I don't know to what extent that uh, I don't want to bring uh, the B word blockchain. Well, I said it. Okay. But you know, the whole, <laughs> a lot of those concepts, right. Are, you know, do underpin some really uh, evolutionary and potentially even revolutionary um, ideas about social organization, distribution of value, et cetera. Um, and just one other thought is, is that, you know, as we're coming out of a crisis, um, COVID has provided uh, rationale and pretext for a lot of opaque automation. And I'd love to get your thoughts on how we reclaim this, because obviously the, you know, the crisis that uh, we're uh, crisis has provided an opportunity for a massive expansion of authority and power, both uh, um, explicit and implicit, and uh, for us to reclaim our digital sovereignty. Um, you know, what what are what are some of your ideas of of, of what individuals and, and groups can do to to reassert that going forward? Yeah, that's, thank you for that question um, or questions. The, the first thing is the book reveals solutions for uh, AI in COVID-19. It compares what we're doing with AI today and what AI can do in the future with evolutionary AI, where effectively we have pandemic resilient societies. Um, it caters for those that can't take the vaccine because there's some that are unable to take the vaccine, that it ensures that we're eating good food, to Julie's point early on, uh, non-GMO and organic, because that keeps our immune system. So um, AI itself, uh, I, I believe, uh, if we'd have invested our money into that, as opposed to in big tech and social media, then I think the US would have done much better. But don't get me wrong, I think the US has done a great job, and they're still trying hard. And so we've got to give praise to all the nurses uh, that are on the front line and to government that is trying to negotiate political agenda. So how can people get involved? Well, first of all, is that I think it's important for people to have a platform in which they can go to their mayors, they can go to their governors, they can go to state, local state legislation with an informed voice. And that's why, the, that's why it's called evolutionary ethics, because uh, this is about liberating uh, the general public and humanity to have a voice in artificial intelligence. So the book helps people to have a narrative with some very simple frameworks. So they become informed, and I think this is important. Um, uh, you know, Ed, we saw Washington State recently, you probably saw the article, um, where they're, they're currently developing policy where the federal government cannot deploy AI within any of its state jurisdictions unless it complies with cultural diversity and does not profile any citizen. And we're going to see more of this. And this is like smart cities, right? We've seen regions move quicker than federal government because they see the problems on the streets. They need a greater agility and they have less red tape. So this is why innovation is coming back to the regional level and the book covers that. So people having frameworks and informed voice helps them to get involved. Ed. Now, when, we, when it comes to um, uh, uh, government, 
then both sides of the aisle now have a voice and a common framework in which they can start negotiating the well-being and the benefit of the citizens of America without political bias or agenda, because AI will catch that. Um, so actually, it will make them more accountable, which is interesting. Um, so it's, I think it's important we have frameworks for people to get involved. Um, now, when it comes to COVID-19, of course, that has, the digital world has been helpful, hasn't it? We've managed to stay in touch with our friends and our family. And that's been really important. Zoom is now, I bet we all wish we invested in Zoom, because it's now a global phenomenon, right? Um, so I think that people have now understood how much that digital life is involved in these big tech companies. And I think people are starting to understand user agency of their data because they've had to be so reliant on these digital services. And that's cool because that opens a fresh dialogue about user agency of data. And you know, to say, guys, what are you doing with my data? And where's it going? What's it being used for? So I think the, 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 obviously the pandemic's been horrid and one life lost is too many lives lost. But actually, it's created an awakening, I think, within people because they've had more time to understand the reliance on the digital world instead of being so busy in our lives. No, that's uh, it's inspiring and, uh, and thought-provoking. And I'm uh, looking forward to, to diving into the book uh, more deeply uh, the, and these concepts. We're looking to, to share these. And I think it's... it's uh, you know, it's, it's really valuable insight that you've, um, you know, that you're sharing that, you know, will provide us a, a way forward. People are looking for solutions. They're looking for positive solutions. And, uh, and it's, and it's so refreshing to hear someone who's, who's working on that, uh, instead of, uh, instead of looking at the past and, uh, um, and, and, and trying to pull the negative out, uh, you know, we have, we have a garden to plant and, uh, uh, blossoms will come from cultivating the seeds of uh, great ideas with uh, lots of sunshine, which uh, as you as you alluded, of course, it's uh, sunshine is free, it's expansive, and uh, it brings lots of good things. So um, so with that, we're going to we've we've come uh, to the end of our allotted time here. I just wanted to uh, recap again. We uh, this is the reset salon podcast. We have been speaking with Matthew James Bailey. Um, this is, I'm, I'm Ed McGuire uh, with Julie Albright and Brian Hayashi. We do want to highlight, um, please check out Matthew James Bailey's book, Inventing World 3.0. And also on your, uh, when you get the chance to uh, give us a rating, yeah, please uh, hit that like button and tell your friends. We want to build our community. Uh, we'll be, we're reachable. You can find us uh, and uh, join us in our, in our, in our, in our public events. Uh, we're doing some on Clubhouse and, and we hope uh, to see many of you because we're trying to make this say a, uh, a uh, concentric circles of goodness. So uh, with that, uh, thank you, uh, Matthew James Bailey and everyone else. Um, and we look forward to continuing our conversation again.